Welcome back to the Autoblog Podcast. I'm Greg Migliori. We have a great show for you this week. We finally have a look at the new Dodge Charger. Stay tuned. This is going to be good. We talked about the Jeep Wrangler, the 392, perhaps being Dunzo. And would you buy a secondhand Tesla from Hertz? We're going to talk about that. We're driving some pretty cool things like the TLX Type S. The Subaru WRX joins the Autoblog long-term fleet. And I have spent some time in Nissan's Altima and Pathfinder. We will spend your money. With that, I will bring in Road Test Editor, Zach Palmer. How you doing, man? I am doing great. Uh, there isn't a tree on my roof anymore after this winter storm we just had. So that's cool. Uh, how's, how's it going over on uh, your side of the world? That's, that's a great <laughs> reminder. I need to call the city. A huge uh, branch fell down across the sidewalk. And I've been told they will come and drag it away and chainsaw it. Uh, I do have a new uh, electric chainsaw uh, that I probably should charge up and review. And, you know, we could do a commerce play or something for it, put it in a gift guide. That being said, it's like eight degrees. So I think I'm going to call the city. Let's see, it's a really big branch too. Yeah, no, this is uh, this is crazy. Everybody's having massive tree problems here. Uh, I guess welcome to Michigan winter, finally. <laughs> welcome to the 2025 Dodge Charger. This is the Daytona Coupe pre-production form. You wrote the story, which I got to believe is was pretty fun. This is cars like this are sort of why I got excited about automotive journalism is you would see the next gen Charger or Camaro on the cover of, say, Auto Week, where we both worked in our early days. And, you know, you would really dig into it. So uh, I'm pretty excited about this car. We finally are getting a sense of what it might be. It looks like it's a coupe. Uh, I don't see a B pillar in there, which is kind of neat. Uh, it looks, it's frankly, it looks like the concept, uh, but we don't really know anything else. So uh, no powertrains, nothing else. We think it's likely going to be uh, gasoline and electric. Initially, they mentioned they were going to go all EV with this application. And then they showed the electric, uh, you know, concept car. But since then, we've heard, you know, fairly you know, substantial rumors that that Hurricane I-6 might make its way into the new Charger, which I think we all would like. So you see something on the back fender, whether that's a charge port or a gas tank, who's to say, but it's pretty clear they could have Photoshopped that out. It's pretty clear that's in there for a reason. <laughs> so what do you think? Yeah, man, this this was a really neat one. Uh, it was just dropped on socials uh, like late last Friday, uh, like out of nowhere. Dodge didn't really preview it or anything they're just like hey here it is uh and uh to your point there about being electric or gasoline powered i was doing some sleuthing uh looking around and whatnot uh so it does have the uh the fratsog logo up front which is uh the same logo that was on the electric concept so that was one sort of indication that that this one is probably the electric one but then the the other one was uh looking out back this one does not have exhaust pipes on it. Uh, so I, I was really thinking that this is indeed uh, the, the electric version of it. It, it also says Charger Daytona. Uh, you, you can see the latter part of that in, uh, imprinted in the lower rear bumper of it. So I guess they're going to stick with that name that they, they had on, on the concept. Uh, this is also... Uh, some pretty good confirmation that uh, the Charger, I guess, is going two-door now. Uh, obviously, Dodge split it between Challenger and Charger. Uh, here, as of late, the Charger was four-door. The Challenger was was the two-door. Uh, now, the Charger is apparently a two-door coupe. Uh, so that's that's pretty cool. That's you know that's it's obviously nothing new there. Like if if you look back in the uh, history of time, the Charger has been a two-door coupe in the past. There's nothing you know super un untoward or weird about that, uh, but it is indeed notable. Uh, and uh, like you said, we don't have any performance specs. We don't even know what version of Charger this is beyond, I think, it being electric. Now, there will obviously be various trims and whatnot, um, but uh, right now we're kind of just left guessing. I I suspect that it's it's a fairly high performance version as I just look at the uh, the size of the rear rubber back there uh those are some some pretty meaty tires uh and it's just uh man it is it is a good good looking car i think and uh man we don't have many two-door electric coupes out there these days too so 
is going to be pretty cool when it uh, launches later this year. We'll actually have a two-door electric car that you can go buy, uh, and it should be pretty fun. So, yeah, this is this is a fun, fun little news drop with with a lot of hidden tidbits. I think <laughs> it's so a lot of things sort of to unpack here. Uh, one, you know, you mentioned uh, about electric coupes. I've been saying, hey, Camaro, this is your opportunity. Well, it looks like Dodge perhaps beat you to it right here with the two-door charger. In some ways, moving uh, the charger to full electric is, you know, it's very significant. But the fact that it's going two doors is to be just as significant. It really gets into the uh, redefining what it is as a muscle coupe. That obviously begs the question, what's up with the Challenger? We don't know. They haven't said anything. Either way, they sort of implied, Dodge implied, that both would continue. But they, I mean, for what it's worth, we kind of were reading the tea leaves in between the lines there. We don't know. They did serve different missions. Historically, they were both muscle coupes. The Challenger slotted more as like a pony car, whereas the Charger was truly like this, you know, muscly beast that was competing against GTOs and, you know, Chevelles, things like that. So it's it's definitely a redefining of its mission. I think you're also taking away whatever business it would find as a sedan. I don't think you necessarily want to make your Halo EV muscle car and design it for taxis and like police fleets, <laughs> but it is a fair amount of sales. And a lot of people do buy chargers for daily drivers. If you make it a coupe, you're likely shrinking your audience. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how they play that from a sales volume perspective. Perhaps they think they can make that up with a different Dodge product. And then what does that mean for the Challenger? We don't know. Perhaps the Challenger even could be, you know, maybe that's like the highest performance version. That's a way they could use the name in the Challenger. But again, that doesn't really track with the styling. Because when you look at this pre-pro model, it's definitely a, definitely a Charger, which I think is a great thing. Yeah, no, it, it is it is really weird that we haven't heard or seen anything about a four-door because, yeah, the Charger absolutely did outsell the Challenger. Like that, people like four-doors because they're big and super utilitarian. Like that was one of the coolest things about, you know, you could get a, a Charger Hellcat Red Eye, this four-door family full-size sedan with 797 horsepower if you wanted it. Uh, and just the... I, they are really, really giving up on a massive portion of, of their customer base if they don't make a four-door. That leads me to believe that the four-door is coming. Uh, I mean, I don't know that for a fact at all, but it just it just feels like it makes no sense to launch and to only have a two-door version. I don't know. Maybe they can do something like uh, Mercedes and call it the, the Charger four-door coupe. Uh, go uh, fancy German style that way. It, it, it seems to be a bit of a trend to go four-door coupes these days um, and to sort of keep the same styling because it honestly really seems like this this thing could just be stretched out and make it into a four-door and the styling and design language would still totally work. And then you have two cars, you know, one that's a coupe, one that's a four-door. Um, and that that would make a lot of sense to me. But... Launching, launching with a two door, you know, it makes a muscle car splash. You can still say, "Hey, we got our, we have our two door muscle car, Mustang, Camaro, etc." Um, so, I don't know. I guess we'll we'll just have to wait and see because Dodge is is not saying a lot so far. Just have to wait for later this year for more news. It, we're going to hear more this year. This is going to be one of the most anticipated uh, reveals of the year. It's pretty far along. Even the concepts that we've seen were pretty close to being like at least production intent while they were clearly concepts they were you know not like total like vaporware things they were definitely things that could be put into production and that's what tim caniscus who heads the dodge brand even said he's he made it pretty clear they could build something like that uh, i've driven pre-pro cars i'm sure you probably have too a lot of times there, we used to call them 99% cars or something where maybe the car was 95% done or something. And the thing that wasn't quite there was 
the dashboard was still like the materials weren't as good or you'd get in there and there would be tape over the the screen or something so i mean as you can see from these pictures and you know we'll include a link to this in case you missed the story this is the 2025 charger it's ready to go basically so uh definitely excited to hear some more about this yeah it's it's right there i mean you just have some some unpainted body panels uh probably just like you said an, an unfinished interior in there but hey check out the photos <laughs> this is it and uh they've kept most of the elements from from the concept honestly it's 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 a pretty faithful reproduction as far as i'm concerned frankly this is the way i would equip a charger i like the the black car with the dark wheels the dark interior it reminds me of uh uh bullet a little bit so hey you know it's a good it's a good looking car all right now on its way out we now have the 392 uh, jeep wrangler this is something that uh i guess naturally we thought would happen uh dodge and frankly the industry is moving away from evs or excuse me from v8s and we kind of knew this would happen the 392 wrangler is going to be a collectible item i would guess it'll be a collector's vehicle pretty soon some leaked documents say this Jeep hasn't said officially what's going to happen. This is also the most expensive Jeep currently as it stands. Uh, this slots in the Rubicon 392 is $92,140. That's uh, how it would spec out. So <laughs> you're kind of sl slicing off the halo. Uh, so, yeah, what do you think there, Zach? Yeah, man, uh, this is it. The, this car quickly turned into my favorite version of the Wrangler uh, as soon as I got into one uh, a, a little while back. Uh, it just it's like the most just one of the craziest builds, I think, that uh, Mopar SRT has, has ever put together. Honestly, uh, the, the Wrangler is not you know, it's, it's not meant to be a a fast performance car in in any way but the the, the wrangler 392 is is fast and uh my god it is it is so much fun it is genuinely one of the most fun cars i think i've i've, I've driven in the last year um, just based on how ridiculous it is the way the whole thing uh basically just like rears up on its haunches and launches you forward when you slam the throttle the noise mopar and dodge jeep etc they don't do like valve exhaust this thing has a valve exhaust uh the quiet mode is like okay it's stupid loud and then the loud mode is like oh my god you're gonna wake the dead um it is just like sort of a uh bob and joe built this in their garage sort of thing that is like hey we can do it let's stick a v8 in the wrangler let's let's send it out on a on a crazy high note uh, and it's genuinely good. Like it, it, it's genuinely a ton of fun to pop around in. I didn't take it off road or anything, but uh, this this car is is just tons and tons of fun. And I can I can see you know that it looks like they're going to be doing a 392 final edition that will send it out. I could definitely see that becoming a collector's item uh, amongst Wrangler owners and fans of the 392 and big old Mopar V8s for years and years to come, just because this is this is such a unique car that was only built for a few years. Uh, and uh, I think that anybody that has, has had the privilege of driving or being in one is uh, really going to appreciate it and uh, love it for a long time to come. It's a, it's a factory built hot rod. Uh, it's a factory built collector's item, like I said. Uh, we didn't think this would last forever because really we talk about the mission of the Charger. The mission of the Wrangler was never to be like a V8 powered sort of hot rod. So it makes sense that this is going to be one of the first sort of, you know, cuts as far as Jeep transitions to its electric future. Uh, but yeah, man, this is this is a cool rig. I I will miss it. I think for Jeep fans, this is going to be one of those rare birds that you see probably not on a Concours lawn, but, you know, somewhere special like that in the future. So I think it was, it was cool while it lasted. I'll remember a lot of V8 Wranglers from covering SEMA for many years. Then you would, but that was aftermarket. Now it's, hey, they, they, they finally did it. They built a factory one. You got to give Stellantis credit just on kind of a high level here is V8s are sort of on their way out. 
their philosophy was we're going to put a V8 in basically everything and everything gets a final edition. It was really a heck of a closing time for the V8 Stellantis powered muscle vehicles. Let's put it that way. It, it definitely has been. I mean, I, I think it was just like a couple weeks ago that the Dodge announced last call versions for the Durango Hellcat and the Durango 392. Just another example of them like, all right, here we go. V8s for all. <laughs> we're, we're, we're throwing everything at the wall here while we still can. It's a V8 party. Would you buy a used Tesla from her from Hertz, the rental car? group that almost went bankrupt a few years ago, right at the, the start of the pandemic. It's a little crazy to see that they're they're obviously still hanging around. Clearly, there's still a need for rental cars. Uh, in some ways, it was the reverse of like a meme stock, if you will. Instead of <laughs> it getting a ton of value, a somewhat solid business almost went under. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Do you think you'd buy one of these things or would you you know, find another way to get a Tesla or perhaps a different electric vehicle, which we'll talk about later in the show. Man, you know, as, as somebody who uh, probably spends way too long researching and looking at and trying to find the most perfect car out there if I'm buying a used car, uh, that's a definite no for me on buying a Hertz Tesla. Uh, I understand that they are cheap. Uh, it looks like they are, they're pricing them all way under uh, market value, uh, but there are reasons for that. Of course, these are cars with super, super high mileage. Uh, I mean, and it, it goes to say with with any rental car, you know, they were not taken care of. They were not driven nicely. Uh, you can pretty much trust that they were supercharged, like a hundred percent of the charges. Uh, so battery degradation should be high, uh, and just. In general, you're you're getting a very rough and beat up car, and for me, it's always worth paying a little little extra to go get a car that has been really nicely taken care of by someone. Um, at least that's that's where I would land here. Uh, you know, if 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 you're buying it as like a an Uber vehicle or like a taxi type thing, all right, well maybe you know if 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 it's going to continue to live a hard life, just let it continue. But you would not find one of these in my driveway. That is for sure. <laughs> Same. It would be tempting, I will admit, especially if I needed a car for, say, like two years, something like that, where I knew I would be offloading it and I wanted to maybe use it as a gateway into the electric vehicle space. A $21,000 Tesla is intriguing. That being said, with tax credits and with just Tesla's gotten pretty competitive with its pricing, especially for the lower end models, you know, you could still be in the like, I guess, upper 30s to 40s. So, and that's a pretty big delta. You know, it's a big difference between a $21,000 car versus a $40,000 car. But still, it's it's probably not a good play. Would I buy a car from Hertz in general? Probably not. So just the fact that it's like sort of a Tesla, you know, it's it's almost like a Black Friday sale or something where it seems a little too good to be true. And it, it just, it probably wouldn't be a smart play. Again, unless you could find like one for $21,000, you knew you were going to buy something else in 18 months to two years, maybe even less. I think you would buy this, enjoy it, and already be looking at that exit strategy. You know, keep all your bookmarks and things on your home screen, on your phone, keep those of the cars you're considering because you will need another car like fairly soon. Um, so I would say 80% no, but there's like 20% of me that would consider doing this. If there was a good deal, perhaps like on that Hertz rental thing, you know, a few miles away, but just looking, there's none in Michigan. There's four in Ohio and that's in Cincinnati and none of them are all that cheap. Uh, you know, I wouldn't pay, here's one 34, we'll call it for a model Y with 74,000 miles on it. No, thank you. So. Yeah, a little too good to be true, but it definitely got a lot of people's attentions this week. Let's put it that way. Let's talk. Yeah, just go for it. <laughs> uh, I was, I was, I was just gonna say, like the idea of of, of Hertz dropping so many EVs, uh, I think, is is automatically going to get attention just because they made such a big deal when when they bought them, and now they're not replacing them with other EVs. That's that's the that's that's the craziness there, and I, I think that that'll also give give people pause. Um, 
but yeah end story wouldn't wouldn't end up driving home with one of them <laughs> let's talk about some cars we have been driving and might consider owning we'll see you had a pretty interesting first drive of the tlx uh, this is the type s it's the new uh refreshed model for 2024 i imagine you you know having a bit of a long history with acura you held this to a pretty you had some thoughts going into it how uh how did it measure up yeah man i've i've been somewhat conflicted about the tlx type s um i i liked it a lot when it came out initially i think i still like it a lot um the the biggest problem for me here is has always been the weight of the thing like it's it's 4200 pounds which for a sports sedan with you know 355 horsepower it's it's a respectable amount of horsepower but not a crazy amount uh and it's just it's heavy 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 um especially when you look at what else you can get for like uh similar pricing you look at like the Acura Integra Type S uh that's like $52,000 and only weighs about 31 3200 pounds um this is quite clearly the uh sports sedan for someone who you know wants a little more luxury wants a little more comfort um and uh overall just isn't as serious of a vehicle as maybe the other the other four-door type s and acura's lineup uh this was the mid-cycle refresh uh and acura did a few things i liked maybe one or two things that i didn't like as much um the the really cool gauges that it had before have been replaced by digital gauges uh so they they had these these really neat white white gauges uh in 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 the pre-refresh model uh, I understand, obviously, you know, everybody's switching to the fully, fully digital instrument cluster. Uh, but I, I think that it did lose some, some character there, uh, just, just staring at the dash. Uh, bigger infotainment system, slightly different design, just like all the things that you do when you do a mid-cycle refresh. Uh, it didn't really change the way the thing drives at all, though. Um, I, was, I was definitely hoping for a little more horsepower out of, out of the Type S, uh, and it's, I mean, it's, it's a great engine, three liter turbocharged V6, makes all the right noises, uh, but uh, it just, it, it, it's, it's starting to feel a little flat versus some other more powerful competition out there. Um, and that's, that's not to say that uh, the, uh, the price is, is helping either because it also got more expensive uh, this, this time around. So, I mean, yes, I do really like this car and I think that it, it, it does drive so, so well. Um, but I, I just don't think that it is as lustrous to me as when it initially came out a few years ago. Um, I think that Acura could have done a few things uh, to improve it better than it did perhaps. Um, but, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, this is, this is good, this is bad. And you, you look at my headline, give it some more credit. Uh, like I, I still do really like this thing because as, as I read through internet comment sections, I feel like the TLX just gets a lot of hate, um, for, you know, some things that it doesn't necessarily deserve, like the back seat. Yeah, it's small, but Acura wasn't necessarily making this thing for like a, a whole family. If, if, if you do want a ton of space, go by the MDX type S, uh, and just, and just chatting with Acura on first drive events and whatnot, like this this was made as as a personal luxury sports car um it wasn't necessarily made as to be that you know all all family everything hauler um so you you, you kind of got to look at it within the context of, of where accurate is 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 trying to place it and uh you know if 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 i were in the market for for something that you know i have this this nice nice cushy job i can afford a sixty thousand dollar luxury sedan I want something that's fun, but doesn't have, you know, I, I don't want to work with a manual transmission and have a super hard suspension. Like this is really, really good, really, really good. And I would, I would really consider it over something like, uh, I mean, I, I would definitely buy it over like an Infiniti Q50 Red Sport. I uh, would probably have it over the Mercedes C43 AMG. Um, and it would, it would be really tough between this and a BMW M340i. But uh, there are some things that I like about the Acura more. Um, I think it would just just depend on your priorities. So tough, really, really tough car to go through, I think, uh, just because, like you said at the start, I do have a lot of strong opinions about Acura and how they're doing. <laughs> that's that's interesting. You talk about the C40 and then saying you're a little unsided over, you know, the, the BMW. To me, that means Acura is 
doing a lot of things right because the C40 I think is a great car. So you know the fact that this uh, that this sedan can hang in there with it is I think definitely a you know telling and a tip of the hat for Acura. Uh, the refresh for 24 isn't crazy significant. Reading through your report and some other things, it's Sport Plus is tuned differently. The screen is a little bit bigger inside, bumps up to about 12 inches. Just some very light tweaks to the like the grill, the radar thing, and some other things. I've generally liked the TLX. I have driven. We had a long termer. It was the uh, the A spec, which I thought was a nice. A very nice sedan to drive it you know i didn't think you had to bump all the way up to the type s you know if i were going to spend my money i would probably just spend a little bit more and get the bigger engine with the type s it's a good handling car i know in your report you mentioned the seating position which is familiar which is something i really liked you sit you have a good view of the road but you're also low and to me that gives you a, a great setting for how you can connect with a car and try to drive with a little bit of daily driving sportiness. And then you feel that in the steering and the suspension, which is why you would get the TLX. I don't think you buy this car for raw horsepower figures or anything like that. You buy it for its chassis tuning and then the design, which I happen to like. It's it's very competitive. Yeah, no, I mean, the the, the chassis really is the reason why why you buy this car because it is so good. It is so very feelsome, and uh, it is. It feels like it's designed for people like us who really, really appreciate you know a good handling car that that feels great on the road. Um, has a lot of great feedback and is just genuinely fun to drive. Overall, it would be a good daily driver for an enthusiast who's looking for something that is more interesting than pick your sedan or your whatever luxury sedan, uh, premium sedan. Like I would find this more interesting to drive and worth the extra money. And it's something that would have some practical applications. It's a little tight in there for sure. It's just based on the you know dimensions and then the styling. It's not a huge cabin. You could certainly get a bigger sedan if that's what you're looking for. Uh, but it's a nice, it's a nice setup, especially if you do need something larger for like family use. You can buy your three row SUV, but this is perhaps the quote unquote commuter car is a very fun thing to have. So I'm looking forward to driving the 24 version as well. I like the TLX. Uh, you know, I think it's, it definitely, you know, it's, it's what Acura should be doing. Let me put it that way. I'm with you. I'm totally with you. So we have a new one. Speaking of long-termers, this is the Subaru WRX. You've spent a month in it. It's got a manual transmission. It has Blizzax, I believe, on the, for the tires, which is important considering we got four inches of snow last weekend. Tell me about it. You took, you were the fittingly as road test editor. You took delivery and you're kind of breaking it in. Uh, let's tell everybody what we have and why we got it. Yeah. We'll just uh, go right along with our sports sedan theme mm -hmm. here uh, with uh, with Subaru's sports sedan, the WRX. Uh, welcome to the Autoblog long-term fleet. So we have a an orange one, uh, which is uh, especially exciting. Uh, we are specifically looking at the Soren Solar Orange Pearl paint, um, which uh, which is it was really cool. It was it was a really close vote amongst the staff between that and the uh, the WR Blue Pearl, the classic uh, rally Blue Pearl for, for the WRX. Uh, and uh, like you already mentioned, we have the six-speed manual. Uh, this is not the GT, uh, nor is it the TR. Uh, the TR isn't actually out yet, uh, which is the new uh, slightly higher performance version of, of the WRX that is coming uh, for 2024. Um, but, uh, but no, we, we have the limited trim, which is the highest trim that, that you can get for for this car which means you have all of the goodies and we have uh even more than that we added some accessories such as the cd player uh just in case you guys were wondering yes you can still get a cd player as an optional accessory in subaru's uh configurator so that's super cool 
Uh, we got some auto dimming mirrors, uh, both side and rear view. Uh, we even got uh, the light up Subaru badge up front. Uh, so that's a neat little fun add on. <laughs> I'm so excited about that one too. That's and the CD player, to be honest. Oh yeah. Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, but like you mentioned, yeah, I've, I've been driving it around for the last month or so. Uh, Subaru has a, a thousand mile braking period on it. Uh, so I, I ended up taking a, uh, a road trip to Buffalo and back over the, uh, over the holidays and that got us, uh, far far and beyond the break-in period uh, which is great so i'm finally getting able to enjoy the 2.4 liter flat four uh, <clears throat> it's really nice engine uh, i think that you're going to like it a lot more than the previous wrx's engine uh, i won't i won't sully the waters too much i know that we'll, we'll we'll have a lot of time to talk about this car over the next year um, but loving that man the the the, the chassis uh stiff uh definitely very sporty handles quite well um i think that everybody's going to have opinions about the suspension uh, after this is over and I, I i find it especially interesting uh how aggressive they went with with the tuning knowing that an even more aggressive version exists with the uh the wrx tr um but that said it's uh, it's right up enthusiast alley um so you're going to really really love the handling uh, and in the snow, man, it has been such a blast so far. Uh, I took it out in that snowstorm uh, that, that, that we had last week with, with their, their Blizzak WS90s. Uh, so they're, it, it's sort of right in the center of the range as far as like snow versus like on-road dry performance uh, for, for Bridgestone Blizzak products. Uh, really, really great in the snow. And the WRX, basically just as you'd expect, uh, you know, as, as, as soon as you really, really step into the throttle, uh, it just digs into the snow and goes, uh, the, the, the smallest little wiggle from the rear end, uh, is if, if you try to throw it around some corners, uh, no need for the emergency brake, it will drift about, uh, you can, you can find a, an open parking lot, have, have some fun doing donuts. Uh, it is, it is the, the, the quintessential Michigan winter car, as, as far as I'm concerned. You see WRXs all the time driving around in Michigan winter. Uh, there's good reason for it because they're just, they're simply a blast. They don't get stuck anywhere. You got plenty of ground clearance you put, and, and you throw the right tires on them and they just go. Uh, and boy, is it fun. So yeah, man, I am super, super excited to spend a year with this one. Um, as, as tested, we're looking just under $40,000, $39,923. Uh, so reasonable price for a fully loaded WRX, I feel. These, these start right around $32,33, um, right in the, the, the sweet spot, I feel, for performance sport compacts. So yeah, there it is, our long-term WRX. I know that I'm, I'm about to hand it off to you here soon, so be excited to hear what you think about it once you uh, get some drive time in feel like I'm getting it for a good time of the year, you know, mid January to probably about early to mid February. I can enjoy the, like, you know, it's prowess in the snow. Uh, I, I like how it looks. Not everybody does. In fact, that's kind of maybe un an understatement. A lot of people don't like the looks. <laughs> Where do you land on it? I have been liking it. The more I'm looking at it, uh, the only I guess area where I'm not a fan of, of, of what it looks like is the rear bumper. I think they just have a little bit too much black plastic cladding back there. If, if they ended it like right around like the rear diffuser area and didn't carry it so high up into the actual rear bumper and toward the trunk, I think I would prefer that. Um, I do like the plastic cladding on the side. I think that that's cool. It speaks to the rally heritage. Uh, it really gives it that sort of rough and tumble feel that, you know, you can take this down a gravel road or, you know, actually do some like, you know, light overlanding or whatever with it and it'll do it. Um, and uh, there's there's nothing offensive about the front design. I don't think it still has that, you know, the quintessential hood scoop and really, really great Subaru styling. Um, yeah, I like it. I'm, I, I might be one of the only people along with you uh, that really like the design. Though that, that said, I know that Joel likes it, um, so you, you, you might get some positive comments out of him after he gets some time in it, too. Um, but, uh, man, all, all I've heard from, from friends and whatnot so far is that they do not like the way that this WRX looks. And I think that people just need to give it more of a chance and, you know, 
just really, really look at back. Hey, look at the rally heritage. It's, it's this way for a reason. Um, and, uh, you know, appreciate it because every, I feel like that that's the way with every WRX that comes out. Like everybody's like, Oh, it doesn't, it doesn't look good. Like the previous one, I remember got a lot of hate for it. Oh, it just looks like a Camry. Like, okay, fine. looks like a four door sedan. Uh, I think people really liked it by the end of that generation. And I think that the same is going to be true for this generation of WRX. I would agree with that. I, I think you need to give it a chance, see how it looks in real life, because the photos, you could be like me and like it in the photos. But I mean, to be fair, the cladding does not do it any favors, especially when you look at the, the tail end of it there. But I mean, it's it's what you expect from the WRX. If you, if you want a cleaner design or something that's more of a, you know, classic, clean, you know, aesthetic, then I don't know why you're shopping for the WRX in the first place. It's always <laughs> kind of had this sort of, you know, rally inspired attitude. And I'm looking forward to having this plastic stuff when I'm flying over snow that's melted and refrozen and frozen again and has salt on it. You don't have to worry as much because it's just plastic. If you crack it, well, I mean, I'm not trying to do that, but <laughs> it happens, right? It's a lot. Uh, it's a. It's practical, so we'll see. Scuffed plastic, you know, is a lot better to have than paint missing off of a panel and uh, than rust. And oh no, <laughs> exactly. So I think long long term, I think the owners will will appreciate the plastic. <laughs> All right. Well, let's stay with the sedan theme here. We're going to talk about the Nissan Altima. I drove this. Uh, uh, this is about a couple of weeks ago now. I've been actually meaning to get to it on the podcast. I drove the. This is the 2.5 SL all-wheel drive sedan. So uh, a sedan with all-wheel drive. So some you know through lines here with the WRX, and it came in at thirty-seven thousand dollars, almost uh, on the nose. Not too many options here. Uh, I did get the, uh, I got some floor mats, some illuminated kick plates, and it also had the exterior lighting uh, ground kit, which added kind of a little bit of a vibe to it. People noticed that when they were getting in and out of it. Uh, a little unexpected, if you will, for the uh, the Nissan Altima. It, you know, for a while it was, I think Lincoln was among the first to bring back or use lighted ground kits like that. And now it seems like everybody, you know, you mentioned the WRX has a light up badge. It seems like everybody's using, you know, light up, you know, tools to make their vehicle seem a little more prestigious. I, I digress. I liked it. 19 inch wheels, uh, you know, a bunch of safety stuff. This one has the 182 horsepower. Uh, this is a 2.5 liter inline four, of course, with CVT. Uh, and again, the all wheel drive was nice. I thought it was, you know, we didn't have snow when I had this car, but it still was pretty messy out, pretty rainy, that sort of thing. All-wheel drive doesn't really help you in the rain, but hey, it's not a bad thing to have all-wheel drive in December in Michigan, early January. Nice sedan. Uh, but to kind of bring this all together, they did update this a little bit, but it's still, I wouldn't say it's the best in class. Far from it. I think you've got uh, you know, Honda and Toyota are just, you know, doing a better job in this segment. Uh, they seem to still, I would say, care more about the Camry and the Accord, respectively, than Nissan does with the Altima. It's a nice car. I don't think I'd pay $37,000 for it. Do you happen to remember what the Type S came at, the Acura did off the top of your head? Yeah, that one was uh, 59 Oh, 59 Okay, uh, so that's yeah. a fair amount of money. But it uh, it just seems like so. Okay, so here's what I'm looking for. You can get a, a lower spec TLX for about forty five. To me, that's eighty or excuse me, eight grand difference. You're talking about different cars, especially if you have an enthusiast vibe, some enthusiast bones in your body. Altima is a nice sedan. I, I frankly, I do give Nissan credit for keeping sticking with sedans that's more than you can say for really any of the detroit three who don't seem to ever care about sedans too much so it's they have a, a placeholder there it still sells probably as well as it needs to for them i don't think they need this car to be the top of the heap to do what it needs to do its mission is to add some volume 
and it still does that. I liked it. It was a very nice car, but again, I, I still grayed out the Camry and the Accord ahead of it. And when you think about what's in this segment, I don't think this is like, say, 1975, where you're cross-shopping sedan versus sedan, pickup truck versus pickup truck. You'd probably look at the Ultima. You'd also think of the Rogue. You'd also think of maybe one of the sportier cars we've already you know, road tested in this show. You could go in a lot of different directions. I, I'm not really sure why you necessarily land on an Ultima beyond the fact that maybe you've had an Ultima and you just want a very nice sedan. And that's it. It could be sort of why when when I my Pixel 3a broke, it's now broken twice. And the final drop is what essentially put it over the edge. It, it wasn't until the second drop when I realized, oh, yeah, the first drop wasn't that bad. The second drop really got it. So I had to buy a phone. And what did I do? I was like, well, I think I'm ready to go back to an iPhone. I don't want to drop like whatever, 1500 for the latest iPhone something pro. I just don't care. I also am pretty hard on my phones. I walk the dog. I'm getting in and out of cars. I just, you know, I usually break my phone once a year. So I went with the iPhone SE, which is like the like the Camry or the Corolla really of iPhones. It's an iPhone, which is what I wanted, but it's also the cheapest thing you can get. Does it have the like the good inside guts, like the operating system and some of the memory and like iPhone things that we would compare it to engine and engines and transmissions and suspensions that I can't fully articulate from a phone side of things? Yes. But is it still kind of like a smaller, cheaper looking phone? Yes. To me, that's perhaps how you might land on an Ultima is you've had Nissans for a long time. We've had Ultimas. You like it. You're not really trying to change things up with say like in a, in a cord or like maybe drop down to a Civic. You just want something that's good. You know, it's going to be good. You know, you're going to like it. And that's how you land on this. It's still a very solid sedan, but there's just so many really interesting options out there. I struggle to think why I would necessarily land on this one. Yeah. I'm I'm with you. I mean, I I do things like the Accord, the Camry, the Sonata, the Kia K5. So all of those would kind of land above it for me. The, the the one interesting bit about the Altima for me has been that VC turbo engine. Um, obviously, the one that you had did not have the VC turbo engine. So, meh. Yeah. And uh, the, the 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 one weird thing there is that they don't offer the VC turbo with all wheel drive which feels like a huge miss. Um, and it, it is one thing that could actually make that vehicle interesting, I think for me is like, if you did have like the 300 horse turbocharged four cylinder with all wheel drive, it's like, oh, okay, now, now, now we're talking about something perhaps a little interesting, um, but Nissan doesn't do that. Um, so they're, they're kind of left to wallow behind some of the other vehicles that arguably do drive better than it. Like the Accord is genuinely fun to drive. Uh, the same can be said for, for some Camry trims. And you know, even when you look at like the Kia K5 GT or like the Sonata N-Line, uh, those, are, those are super, super cool little sedans um, that offer like a little punch performance, but also all of the practicality that you get with the, the big sedan like those. So yeah, it's, it's around the same area for me, just not, not quite cutting it. There are some things that, that they could do to really raise it up in my mind, but haven't seen Nissan do it yet. One reason may be that they, uh, we have reported that this may be it. They may kill it in 2024, 2025. We'll see. I tend to think as long as it's selling, there's no real reason to give up that kind of sales volume. But we also said that about things like the Ford Fusion. Uh, at the same time, Nissan doesn't have as large of a lineup as, say, Ford did at that time. I don't think they want to just give up market share. So uh, we'll see on that front. But that could be one reason why they haven't truly invested in the car the way, say, Honda has done with the Accord, which the Accord just keeps getting better. And it's clearly a tentpole. You know, it's emblematic of who they are. I could never imagine a world where Honda just gave up on the Accord. Whereas the Ultima might go away and we'd be like, okay, yeah, sure. Tracks. Well, speak. And then it, I was, I was also going to say like, as, 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 just because we've been talking about rental cars a lot, uh, the Ultima has, has been a, a bit of a king of rental lots. I, I, I say this anecdotally because I was 
was recently helping a friend uh, pick out a rental car for for a trip that they were going to take, and they're just going down the line at the at the, at the local Hertz, and it was Altima after Altima after Altima. <laughs> so hey, that's 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 where they're getting a lot of that sales volume, and maybe one of the reasons why it's still sticking around. <laughs> Per, yeah, there you go. I wonder how much of that sales volume is rental cars. Boy, it's we're, we've gotten to the point where we're really throwing some shade here uh, on the podcast. <laughs> oh, but it, do, it doesn't get much better here for the Pathfinder. I had that, and uh, I, I'm writing a piece, uh, a number of thoughts I have on it. Uh, I think it's I think it's pretty good. First of all, I think it's better, and uh, well, you know, honestly, the Ultima's pretty good. I kind of have a very similar diagnosis here. This is a solid SUV. It's way better than that ancient thing they were rolling out until about 21 or 22. I think it was 21. It's solid. It, it It's very capable. Uh, we got four inches of snow last weekend, and this thing was a great sled with the ground clearance, the all-wheel drive. Uh, I was plowing through everything. There's actually a little snow mode that you can queue up uh, via a knob in the center console. Definitely had that going. It changes the way the power is sort of sent out. So you're going to go slower, but you feel more sure-footed. At times, though, I just would put it back in normal and maybe try to slide around a little bit. I was pretty confident in my snow driving abilities, uh, especially after a couple days. So it was good in the snow. It's big. Uh, the inside's pretty nice. Uh, mine had the captain's seats, which was uh, you know pretty nice setup, I think. You know, with a three-row SUV, I've heard two schools of thought. One is, if you're going to get three rows, why do you do captain's chairs? Don't you need all those seats? If not, get a two-row. But just from having, that's a little bit of a straw man argument, too. Just from needing that size of a vehicle and you want people to move around the cabin. My family loved having the captain's chairs set up. Uh, you, I believe you can actually remove the second row the second row console, which I didn't try, but I was going through some of the docks and it looked like that was something you could do. Uh, it was a handsome vehicle, blue, big wheels, 20 inch alloys, had LED lights. It's, you know, in this segment, I think everything has a tendency to kind of look like a Ford Explorer. Nissan, Hyundai, Kia have done a good job of differentiating themselves and creating identities in the segment. Uh, of course, Chevys don't look like Fords, let's be obvious there. But this one had a little bit of character. So I liked it uh, in that sense. Uh, let's see, what else do I have here? Uh, interior was pretty nice. Uh, digital dashboard, nine inch touchscreen was pretty good. Um, the thing in front, like the, the driver, the IP in front of the driver was very useful. I thought that was helpful. And Another random thing, the Bose sound system with 13 speakers sounded great. It really did. Uh, all that being said, I would go with the Rock Creek edition if I were going to get the Pathfinder. I just thought it was, that one had a little more character. That's sort of like the off-roady one. It actually slots in the middle of the lineup. This is the Platinum four-wheel drive. It's not four-wheel drive. I don't know why they call it that way. And this one came in at like 54, so you know, give up some creature comforts and like interior, you know, niceties. And I kind of like the Rock Creek a little bit more. I thought that was cooler. Uh, either way, it's your money, you know, figure out what trim of the Pathfinder you want. But the better move for me at the end of the day is you would probably rather spend your money on something like a Honda Pilot, a Mazda CX-90, which is going to join our long-term fleet. Uh, the Explorer is very solid too, especially if you lean domestic. Or even take a look at something, you know, step up and see what kind of a, you know, a base Tahoe. I always think if you're cross shopping large vehicles like this, you might want to look at what's available in the body on frame segment or a Grand Cherokee or Grand Cherokee L. So, you know, another Nissan that's pretty good that I would say there's two or three other things that I would recommend ahead of it. So. Yeah, Nissan. I mean, I I think that they've done a really good job of like revamping their lineup here. And I mean, if you look at this Pathfinder versus the Pathfinder that we had before, it like this is like it's like oh yeah, gold. It's 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 like beautiful, amazing. Like okay, cool. It's it's like it's finally competitive. Um, 
but at the same token you know just just like you were saying there 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 are others that you know are also better and getting better and uh now nissan still has to play play some catch up to be just as good as them um that that rock creek i think is is one way for them to stand out uh but at the same time i mean you you, you look around this this segment you got the pilot trail sports uh you have Kia with 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 their off-road versions. Uh, obviously, you have, you, you have like the Subaru Ascent that is basically a rugged off-roady version of it from from the factory. Um, so it's it's not a, a, a unique thing, but uh, it is it is something that makes the Pathfinder more interesting. And I think I mean just even aesthetically, like the the Rock Creek is kind of sweet to look at. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's a cool car. I've 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 heard a lot of good things from from others on staff about driving the Pathfinder. People are, you know, it's it's a three row SUV from Nissan that the people can really get behind. But may I mean, still not a still not a class leader. Um, still not one that we would instantly gravitate to. Uh, were you to ask us, hey, what what three row SUV would would you buy for your family? Well, might be like the third or fourth option that we would suggest for you. Well said. Well said. I agree. So let's spend some money. Sean in Fort Collins, Colorado writes, so I'm currently looking at purchasing a Lexus LC 500 and I'm having difficulty deciding between a 23 coupe and a 24 coupe. New examples of both are available at various Lexus dealerships. The big improvement for 2024 is obviously the touchscreen infotainment and 360 degree camera. The downside is that the interior aesthetics are compromised by the placement of the screen and the ugly standard wheels. Is the touch bad as horrible as everyone says? New coupes are pretty rare. And do you think the dynamic handling package is a must or the LSD is enough? I found a 24 coupe with a sport package. 24 convertibles outnumber the coupes by at least a five to one ratio. That's an interesting statistic. Not a single coupe for sale in Colorado. Great podcast. Thanks for your opinions. Hey, Sean, thank you for writing in. This is a great question. The LC500, I think, is one of the most beautiful cars I have had the privilege of driving uh, really ever. It's just really stunningly. I remember the concept they showed, the Detroit Auto Show, when it was truly the North American International Auto Show, probably 10 years or so ago. It's just a gorgeous car. I don't think you're going to really go wrong here, but these are some really good tactical questions. So, I mean, let's unpack it. You and I, I believe, both drove the 23 LC500 last summer. So my memory of the car is fairly fresh. The infotainment, I noticed a little bit, um, but I, obviously we haven't driven the 2024 yet. So then there, of course, there's a sport component of this. So I'll kick it over to you. How do you feel about this, Zach? Yeah, I think we really just need to start by applauding you uh, sir, for going to buy a Lexus LC 500. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that enough people do. I, I, I genuinely, it is genuinely a car that if I had a hundred thousand plus dollars to drop on a car, mm -hmm. I would seriously consider doing so because it is so much fun to drive. So good to look at. Uh, it is, it is genuinely one of the best new cars I think you can buy today. Um, as for the question, uh, as, as good as the car is, I think that the infotainment in the 23s and the four is almost as bad. Um, I mean, it is just, just trying to turn on like the heated or cooled seats. Uh, it is, it is so annoying. It is like a 10 to 15 second process just to get these things on. Uh, like you can use a Lexus concierge, which automatically turns them on or off. It ain't always right though. Uh, sometimes you, you, you want to throw the top down or something and, have the heated seats on you want to put the windows down while it's a little chilly and anyways uh you know that that original infotainment system is problematic in a lot of ways um the new one i think is definitely going to fix those those problems like greg said we haven't driven it yet i cannot speak to the actual use case scenario and how the new infotainment looks in person uh, I, I, though I have a feeling like, just like you say, it not being integrated into the IP and the dash is going to be a downgrade in aesthetics for the interior. Uh, that said, like as the user of the vehicle, as a driver, I have a feeling that I would prefer having a much more usable 
system, uh, if, especially if I'm going to keep the car long term, than something that is just aesthetically flattering. Um, and I think that that's really the decision that you have to make there. And like, you should try both of them if you can. Like, hop in, hop in a 23, hop in a 24, navigate through using that touchpad. It is as bad as everybody says. Like, it really, really is. Um, and the the new one will be good. It won't be perfect, um, just because it is Toyota's and Lexus's new new software that uh, I, amongst others on, on staff, have not loved. We definitely like it. Um, so I, that's it's such a tough question, honestly. Um, but I, I would probably gravitate just just toward the 24 because I prefer usability over aesthetics probably in, in most circumstances. As far as like the sport package versus the dynamic handling package, um, it's a big a big money difference there. Like the, the, the sport package is 1900 versus the dynamic handling package is 6400. The real big thing that you know you, you get there with with the dynamic is the active rear steering, um, and that's 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 going to be big. Um, however, I think it's going to depend on how you're going to use this car. Like, is it going to be a daily driver? Is it going to be your your like single use canyon carver? Uh, if it is going to be like this this car that you just take out on the weekends, you only like like you're buying it to enjoy driving it on back roads and whatnot. I might have to go for that that sixty four hundred dollar package and get the active rear steering and some of the other things that that come with it. Um, if you're not, I think the sport package is fine. Uh, you know, you you get that LSD, uh, you get the performance brake pads, you get you know some of the base level performance things that you need, um, and you don't have to go searching for what is probably a needle in a haystack with that with that handling package. Um, so. Yeah, those are my answers. Uh, I mean, I think an ideal setup for me would probably be the 24 with the handling package on it, um, just to have everything with it. That car, especially if you're looking long term, that car, the 24 coupe with everything is going to be like worth so much money down the line. Uh, and they will they will really, really retain their value. And you'll just be happy that you got everything. That's that's it's it's it's, it's sort of the way that I look at 911s and all these super high dollar cars. It's like, well, Buy the S, you know, don't buy the base one because you might want the performance later on. So <laughs> long answer, but that's, that's, that's my answer. That, that's a good answer. I think just to unpack this a little bit, I would go with a 24 for starters. Uh, there's a slight price difference here. It looks like the 24 starts at 99.8. I'm seeing, you know, the, the 23 for a few thousand dollars less again, and this is kind of underpinning my thought process here, this seems like a car you're going to potentially keep. It's really a potential collector's item. So I don't think, especially at this price point, what's an extra couple thousand dollars. So I would definitely go with the 24 for starters there. Uh, and again, the, the touchscreen, I think aesthetically, yes, I can picture the 23 that we drove, but I mean, I don't think I like the the screens layout that much of that either, that I would trade that for the functionality, the potential functionality of the 24. So I would agree with you there, Zach. I would go for the new one. The trackpad sucks. It's not great. I don't know why Lexus does it. It's, you know, not as bad as some Acuras that, you know, I've driven and been annoyed by, but it's, and I will say this, you can get the hang of it. Uh, I found this over the years of driving Lexus vehicles where it does kind of come around after some time, uh, but it's, it's not great, you know, especially too, if you're like wearing gloves or it's, you know, you're like me and you're eating in cars, not that you're probably eating chicken nuggets in your LC 500, but I don't know, maybe get hungry on the way to Laguna Seca. Who knows? It's just not the greatest experience. So to answer your question, I don't like that part either. So it goes, but I do think getting the new screen, uh, paying a little bit more, it appears for the 24, I would do that. And then I would do the dynamic package. I don't think it's a must by any means. I think you're spot on Zach. So essentially I'm kind of agreeing with you on all three points here. It's not a must, but if you're already going to get the car, maybe, you know, go for it. And then you have you have everything. There's no little doubt in the back of your mind, like, oh, I wish I had done this. It's definitely not a must have, 
but on some other sports cars we've driven uh, with that type of setup, uh, I think it, you know, it can be worth it. You know, like you met Porsche is a great example. You're not going to necessarily, you're not going to regret having it down the road. So uh, it's a great car. I think to your point there, Zach, it's a little underappreciated. I, I think frankly, more enthusiasts should look at this car. It has more character than, uh, I don't know, shots fired. I think it has more character than the SL. I haven't driven the new one yet, but uh, it, it definitely, you know, gives you, you know, a very distinctive look. The BMW 8 series, I would take this over that when you're thinking of just coupes. Uh, to me, this is, we've, we've spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about cars that don't break into that, like, top two or three. This one would for me. Same. I mean, I, I would have this over pretty much all of them. Like, look at an M8, an SL6355, uh, pretty much all of the big coupes and or convertibles. Uh, give me the LC because of that one word you said there. It's really high character. Uh, it is It is so much fun. And, uh, yeah, you're not going to regret buying one at all. <laughs> That's all the time we have this week. If you enjoy the Autoblog podcast, Please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get the show. Send us your Spend My Monies. That's podcast at autoblog.com. Be safe out there. Thanks for listening. Shout out to our producer, Eric Meyer, for making us sound good. And we'll see you next week.